Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Now, my grandmother was a wonderful person. She taught me how to play the game Monopoly. She understood that the name of the game is to acquire. She would accumulate everything she could, and eventually she became the master of the board. And eventually, every time, she would take my last dollar, and I would quit in utter defeat. And then she would always say the same thing to me. She'd look at me and she'd say, One day, you'll learn to play the game. One summer, I played Monopoly with a neighbor almost every day, all day long. We'd play Monopoly for hours. And that summer, I learned to play the game. I came to understand the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way that you keep score. And by the end of that summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to to win that game. And I sat down with her to play that fall. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then she had one more thing to teach me. Then she said, Now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money. Now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. No, she said. None of it was really yours. You got all heated up about it for a while. But it was around a long time before you sat down at the board. And it will be here after you're gone. Players come and players go. But it all goes back in the box. Houses and cars, titles and clothes, filled barns, bulging portfolios, even your body. Because the fact is that everything I clutch and consume and hoard is going to go back in the box, and I'm going to lose it all. That's not much of an ROI on that. You have to ask yourself, when you finally get the ultimate promotion, when you've made the ultimate purchase, when you buy the ultimate home, when you have stored up financial security and climbed the ladder of success to the highest rung you can possibly climb it, and the thrill wears off, and it will wear off, then what? How far do you have to walk down that road before you see where it leads? Surely you understand, it'll never be enough. So you have to ask yourself the question, what matters? Hmm. It all goes back in the box, people. That's one of my favorite stories of all time because it is so, so poignant. It's by John Ortberg. 
Now, let me begin here with a little personal story. I grew up in a really cool home. We lived down in Houston near the Space Center, and we actually bought our home from Neil Armstrong. You know, Neil was moving on to bigger and better things, having taken his little stroll on the moon. We were happy to get his old house. And also the contracts for the Apollo-Soyuz mission, you may remember that, some of you who are older, it was the docking of a Russian and American spacecraft in outer space. The contracts for that were signed in our living room. So it had some real historic significance. And needless to say, I was sad the day my dad informed me that he was moving and selling that house. Some great, great memories there. But I remember that part of the process of my dad moving out of that house was us rummaging through the attic and, and going through old stuff from our childhood, not the insignificant stuff. That had gone years before in garage sales. But this was stuff that I'd kind of outgrown but wasn't ready to part with when I went off to college. And it was such a fascinating thing to kind of dig through all this stuff as an adult years later and realize that it's not that significant after all. And there were some handwritten notes from an old high school girlfriend. Better get rid of those, right? I was married at the time. Yeah, there were some little metal figurines I had painted, right? Hand-painted and pretty cool, nice handiwork. But where would I keep them? I had my old Lego sets that I thought were very cool, but I knew my nephews would love those. And I found that all of these things that were once my prized possessions, I mean, these were things that I had spent months, maybe years dreaming about, you know, hoping for, planning for, asking for, they weren't quite as meaningful anymore. It's a fascinating thing to discover that you really don't need the things that used to be the most important stuff in your life. But as a kid, you really don't know any better, right? You just want as much as you can, as fast as you can, while you still can. Well, it's a good thing that people outgrow that when they get older, right? Isn't it? It's a good thing you and I know better, that life isn't about just storing up stuff that's going to end up in an attic or a dusty old box. It's a good thing we've all learned a better investment strategy, right? Now, if you turn on your TV this afternoon, you will be inundated with advertisements about how to invest well to secure your future. In fact, there was a popular commercial a number of years back. You may remember it. It depicted people walking around carrying a giant number like 400,000, 700,000, a million, asking the question, what is your number? In other words, how much do you need to have a safe and secure future? What's your number? And if you look at how most people live today, it's simply more. Right? No matter how much we have, we feel like we need more which means our investment strategy is still get as much as I can, as fast as I can, while I still can. You know, maybe we haven't really learned a better investment strategy after all. Maybe it would be worth considering a new one. Well, today we're back in our foundation series, right? We're in this series and we're in week six here. And this foundation series is all about what is foundational to our church, Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. It's what we believe and how we're to act. And this morning, we're going to be talking about giving. Always a fun topic in church, right? I can tell by the sparse numbers this morning that word got out that we were talking about giving. <clears throat> all right, it may not be fun, but it is foundational. And let me just give a little disclaimer up front. <laughs> you guys will go, okay, good. This message is really not going to be about uh, you should give, you ought to give to the church kind of message. In fact, I have no interest in turning giving into an obligation, and neither does God. People, quite frankly, God would rather you not give than to give with a bad attitude. You know, Jesus, he, he talked a lot about all sorts of topics, right? Relationships, marriage, sexuality, conflict, how to deal with our enemies. But more than any of those topics, you know what Jesus talked about? He talked about our money because he knew it was a hard issue. He knew the destructive power that money can have over our lives, whether we have a little 
or a lot. So let's look together at Matthew 6, and I kind of like us to read this out loud together, if you don't mind. Read along with me here. You ready? It's a small crowd, but we can get a little extra vocal here. Here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, say it with me, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, did you hear what you just said there? (laughs) Do you really believe what you just said there? Because I know that for me and probably many others in this room, this is something that's hard to do. And so I'd like to dissect what Jesus is saying here and then draw a few implications of how it might affect our lives. And the first thing I want to look at is this. Is Jesus asking us to stop desiring, stop planning, stop investing? I mean, there's a fairly common misconception that says following Jesus will lead you to a less exciting life, a life without adventure, a life without ambition. Is that really what Jesus is saying here? Now, if you look at this passage, Jesus is not calling us to settle for less, but rather to seek more. I mean, he says, store up for yourselves treasures. Store up treasures, but make sure they're treasures that really matter. Treasures that really count, okay? There's a big difference there. That means you'll have to build a better portfolio. You'll have to be more thoughtful, more ambitious, more calculating. The real question becomes this, in what should I invest to build a life that really counts? And here, Jesus makes a distinction between two basic kinds of investments, what he calls treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Now, what would you think treasures on earth would be? Well, treasures on earth, those are investments that are temporary and they're vulnerable to theft, decay, destruction. Simply put, it is stuff that doesn't last. I think as we grow up, we learn that that includes things like Lego sets and metal figurines, but it can be harder to figure out that it includes the more sophisticated treasures we invest in that we store up here on earth. Stuff like wealth, worldly accomplishments, social status. You know, people, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how powerful they are, they can't make that stuff last. About a decade ago, one of the wealthiest philanthropists in the Jewish world passed away, leaving behind a billion dollars. Think about that, a billion dollars. And he had two wills. And he instructed them that one will was to be opened immediately and the other was to be opened 30 days later after a mourning period. And among the instructions in the first will was a request that this man be buried in a certain pair of socks. It might sound like a funny request, but the family made it anyhow. Well, the request was denied because it violated a certain Jewish burial custom. Okay, so the family, they, they go before a rabbi in a Jewish court to appeal this decision, but the decision was absolutely upheld, no socks. 30 days later, they opened up the second will, and this is what it said. My dear children, by now, you must have buried me without my socks. It says, I want you to truly understand that a man can have a billion dollars, but in the end, he can't even take along one pair of socks. Point is, at the end of your life, a billion dollars will be of no more worth to you than a pair of socks. 
no matter how much wealth or stuff you accumulate or how much fame that you achieve, you can't take any of it along with you. It all goes back in the box. And when we place our trust in earthly treasures that don't last, we end up measuring our worth, our success relative to those who have more, right? How much does my neighbor have? What kind of house or car or vacation can they afford? What kind of social circles do they run in? And what does that say about me? I mean, it creates this kind of incessant anxiety in our lives. Am I getting into your living room yet? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money will never have enough. Let me say that again. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You know, we end up living with more and more anxiety based on this stuff that we have, right? It just creates more and more anxiety in our lives because our lives, they start to boil down to that number we carry around. What's your number? How much do you need to have the good life to secure your future? What's your number? You know, there's another place where people are known by only a number, It's called a prison. And we imprison ourselves when we give our lives away to storing up treasures that are gonna end up in an attic or a safety deposit box. Things we can't take with us, stuff that all goes back in the box. And in case you still didn't get what Jesus was talking about, he puts it about as simply as it can be put in verse 24. He says, the bottom line is this, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus doesn't say that money is evil or you can't learn to use it well, provide for your family. He simply says, you can't put your trust, your future, your security in both. You can only serve one. That's pretty convicting stuff, isn't it? I mean, it speaks directly to our assumption that our best chance of the good life is to get as much as we can, as fast as we can, while we still can. That assumption is a lie. It's a lie that tells you you're only as good as your number, and your number should always be more. I mean, what a tragedy it is that we have come to define the worth of a human life based on a bank account. Well, Jesus, the good news is, he knows that you are worth far, far more than that. Jesus says that you were made for heavenly treasures, things that last, things that count, stuff that can't be stolen or destroyed. And they're not just gold crowns in the afterlife. These are real investments that you can make and experience in your life today if you'll take Jesus's words seriously. So I want to challenge you this week, starting tomorrow. Okay, you can rest this afternoon. Starting tomorrow, I want you to make some new priorities, some new commitments that will result in treasures in heaven. And just to make sure that we all have a concrete list that we can hold on to, let me give you three key ways to invest in things that will last, things that won't go back in the box. This is what it means to store up treasures in heaven. Write this down. First of all, storing up treasures in heaven means investing in your relationship with God. You know, it's been said there are only three things that are eternal. God, the souls of people, and God's word. So first of all, I would say to store up treasures in heaven, you need to invest in that relationship with God. God paid the ultimate price by his death on the cross, Jesus Christ's life and death for us, to have a relationship with us. And yet, honestly, it's easy for us to get caught up in the pressures of life to make that relationship with God the last priority, right? We're busy, we're tired, we're stressed, we're hurried. But your greatest investment would obviously be tied in with what's called the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I mean, there's no better investment of your time than deepening that bond with the God of the universe. You know, through prayer, songs of worship, silence, scripture, 
right? Just taking the time every day to spend some time with God. So this week, starting tomorrow, I want to challenge you to spend at least a little bit of time each and every day deepening that bond, investing in your relationship with God. Second, storing up treasures in heaven means investing in your relationships with others. See, we're also called to invest in our relationships with family members, with friends. That's the second part of the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means connecting with others relationally, growing in your love for other people. Also means serving others, which might mean making sacrifices when it comes to getting ahead in life. Right? Sacrificing vocational goals for the sake of relational goals. Let me give you an example of what this might look like in the realm of marriage. Yeah, I will talk with a lot of married couples and they'll come to me and say, Brian, man, we are just struggling when it comes to parenting our children. And they'll say, Brian, we're, we're dying here. Is there a book we could read, some pill we can take, you know? Or better yet, a pill our kids could take, something. Like, give me something. You know what I tell them? I always tell married couples, you know where to start? It's your relationship with each other. I'll say, hey, have you set aside a, a date night once a week? Because stability with your kids begins with stability in mom and dad's relationship. I guarantee it. Are you taking time every night after you put the kids down to connect with each other? Are you spending that time? And oftentimes I'll say, you know what? Do that for two months and then come back and we'll take care of all the rest. And a vast majority of them never come back. I assume it's because it's working. Either that or I'm just a terrible counselor. I don't know. No, I follow up with them. And I find that these couples are experiencing the fruit of prioritizing their relationship with each other, which is worth more than an income boost. It's worth more than a job title. And this principle, it's, it's true for married couples, single people. It's true for those who are old, true for those who are young. Our relationships have to come first, no matter the cost. And finally, storing up treasures in heaven means investing in the cause of Christ here on earth using your time, treasure, and talent to invest in Christ's cause here on earth, which is reaching people with a life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus set forth the most crucial mission going on in the universe when he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, I assure you there's no greater cause to give your time, treasure, and talent to than that right there. Early on in my spiritual walk, one of my spiritual mentors said to me, Brian, if you show me your day timer and your checkbook, I'll tell you how devoted to the Lord you really are. You know what? He was right. But I think rarely do we gauge our spiritual health based on our giving, right? I like to think that my faith in God, my love for him is strong because it feels strong. But the truth is how I spend my time and how I spend my money says an awful lot about how committed I am to the Lord. Now, let me just say a few words here real quick about giving to the church, because I know this is always in people's mind, and the big question is what? How much am I supposed to give? What am I obligated to give? What should I give? Well, under the Old Testament law, the standard for giving to the church, which was then known as the temple, was 10%. In fact, that word tithe, it literally means a tenth. But people will say, and rightly so, well, Brian, you just said a few weeks ago, we're not under law anymore. We're living under grace, so we don't have to tithe today. I can give less than 10%, and that's okay, right? To which I will say yes and no. <laughs> yeah, we are under grace. I get that, okay? And it may not be a sin to give less than 10%, but I would submit to you that rather than lowering the standard, you know what the New Testament does? It actually raises the standard. 
I mean, we're exhorted to give sacrificially. Listen carefully to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11 here. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, did you notice here that God's blessings are contingent upon our giving? But rather than limiting it to 10%, God changed the standard, didn't he? He said, okay, sow a little, reap a little. Give a little, receive a little. Right? But give sacrificially and you will be blessed beyond measure. That's not lowering the bar. That's actually raising the bar. Now, Jesus' disciples who were of Jewish descent, they were very, very aware of the Old Testament laws about tithing. They just practiced that naturally. I mean, it would have been unthinkable for them to bring less than that prescribed amount to the church. I mean, bringing a tenth of your income to your church home, that was a natural thing for first century Christians. And I know today that many, many Christians still practice the tithe as a basis for giving. And I totally respect that. In fact, I have yet to meet a person who has practiced the tithe by faith and not seeing God provide for them at the end of the month. Now, is that a specific New Testament law or command? No, it's not. But I think it can be a great standard for giving, at least to begin with. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2, kind of explains how New Testament believers ought to give. This is Paul again. He says, Now about the collection for God's people... On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Okay, you got that? By faith, you set aside a sum of money in proportion to your income. And when you put it in the offering plate, you do so as an act of worship to God, right? With a cheerful heart, out of gratitude for what he's done for you. Now, I honestly don't know what any single person other than myself, my own family gives in this church, and I'm glad because that is totally between you and God. But when it comes to setting aside that first slice of the pie for God, if you're thinking in the back of your mind, you know, I just don't know that I can afford to do that, have faith. Okay, faith is a big part of the equation of giving. Set aside money for the Lord's work before you pay the rest of the monthly bills and trust that God will take care of you. You know, the Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, food, clothing, shelter, God's got that. He'll take care of that if you put him first with your finances. It's a faith deal. It always is with God. Sometimes I'll encourage people to take the Malachi 3.10 challenge. This is the only time in all the Bible where God ever says, test me, test me. Listen to what God says here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. (laughs) Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, that's not my promise to you. That's God's promise. But I can say from personal experience, whenever I've trusted God with my finances, to whatever degree, he has always been faithful to provide. All right, so there you have kind of a quick summary of what it means to invest your treasures in heaven. You and I were made for a lot more 
than just a number to get us by here on this earth. We were made to build a better portfolio, a portfolio of real lasting treasures, not subject to decay, not subject to theft. And these are treasures that as we begin to make these investments, we'll experience some of the blessings here on earth. And then they're gonna come to fruition in incredible heavenly rewards that honestly go beyond what we can even fathom. You know, between more and enough, there's a giant chasm that'll never be bridged. Never be bridged. And there is a richness of having, right? Having money, more money, more stuff, more cars, more security. And then there's also what I would call a richness of being. To be rich in love, rich in peace, rich in friendships. I mean, we all want this richness of being, but we live under an illusion that the richness of having will somehow get us there. Let me tell you, it won't. It never will. It's because stuff never fulfills. And in the end, it all goes back in the box. The richness of having is never enough to fulfill. You know, they say the death of Marilyn Monroe was an incredible tragedy because she was on top of the world when she committed suicide. If you know her story, I mean, she was the most adulated of all women. Every woman envied her. Every man wanted her. I mean, she had money, beauty, fame, power, but she died alone. She died of her own hand. Now, if Marilyn Monroe had made one more hit movie or graced the cover of one more magazine or experienced one more sexual relationship with a powerful man, would that have filled her heart? Would that have been enough? I mean, if Wendy and I were to have a conversation and agree that she could go to the mall, take the credit card, and have one day of unlimited shopping, okay? To buy every dress, every pair of shoes, every piece of jewelry her heart ever desired, would it be enough? Well, we'll never know, because that ain't going to happen, all right? <clears throat> Promise you. <laughs> but I don't care what you think. People, you can go down that road as far as you want, and you're going to find it won't fulfill. You'll find that it's just a cul-de-sac, and there's a little box at the end of it. Let me read you the lesson of the box. It's by a theologian by the name of Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. <laughs> He says this, <laughs> to me, if life boils down to one significant thing, it's movement. I mean, to live is to keep moving. Unfortunately, this means for the rest of our lives, we're going to be looking for boxes. When you're moving, your whole world is boxes. That's all you think about, boxes, boxes. Where are the boxes? You wander down the street going in and out of stores. Are there boxes here? Have you seen any boxes? That's all you think about. You could be at a funeral, he says. Everyone around you is mourning, crying. You're looking at the casket. You're going, that's a nice box. Anybody know where that guy got that box? When he's done with it, you think I could get it. Has some nice handles on it. My stereo would fit nicely in there. He goes on, he says, I mean, that's what death is, really. It's the last big move of your life. Right? The hearse is like the van. The pallbearers are your close friends, the only one you could ask to help with a big move like that. And the casket is that great, perfect box you've been looking for your whole life long. The only problem is, once you find it, you're in it. See, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. Psalm 90.12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you 
a heart of wisdom. Teach us, God, how to number our days. Because we got, what, 70, 80, 90 years here? And then trillions and trillions and trillions of years there because we are eternal beings. And so are the people all around us. Really smart, bright, clever people. Masters of the box. They just need someone to come along and tell them this one thing. It all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. So, teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. People, store up for yourselves treasures up there, treasures in heaven, treasures that will last. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I recognize now why you spoke about money more than any of those other topics. God, it's not because money is somehow good or money is somehow evil. Money is neutral. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But it also has a, a tremendous power over us potentially. So God, I pray that we would be wise, very wise, in how we spend our time, our treasures, our talents, that we would invest in things that last, that we would invest in our relationship with you, our relationship with others, and in your cause here on earth, building your church, reaching people for the sake of the gospel and your kingdom. And God, I just confess to you that I, along with my brothers and sisters here, we, we so easily can get caught up in just stuff, stuff that won't last, stuff that we think we like that'll somehow bring us peace or joy or make our lives easier or more convenient, and we keep storing up treasures that are just going to go back in the box. And so, God, I pray that you would give us new priorities, new commitments, that we would really pause each and every day and say, Here, here's the time I have. Here are the gifts you've given me. Here are the financial resources that I have. God, how can I use them in such a way that they're not going to be invested in something that's just going to fade away, be worthless, go back in the box. But rather, we could invest them in things that will result in eternal rewards beyond what we could even begin to fathom in the here and now. So Lord, we thank you as we go through this foundation series and we talk about giving, that this is such a crucial message. We thank you for the ways in which you've taught us. And again, I just pray that we would take these truths and apply them to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray.